Good morning and welcome to the Tuesday Morning Blitz. It is I, Jackson Roberts, and it is he, Kale Clinton, back here to break down what was an illuminating week six in the National Football League. Many things to discuss, Kale. Very wonky football week, but still a pleasant Sunday nonetheless. It was it was interesting. I mean, just we're at this point of the season where we know things. We have to establish baselines of so yeah, sorry, it's blatant. Yeah, we know things. I know some uh, stuff. No, we have to establish baselines of like identities for teams and who these guys are. And yeah, we've got you know three months left in this season, realistically, but two and a half, I guess. But point is like we still don't know everything. Like we still, there's still things we're figuring out. There's still like identities we're trying to figure out, and we're just, we're just early enough in the preseason or in the season where preseason expectations and preseason biases still kind of matter. But man, we've got to start making some readjustments here. I don't know. We can dive into it, but man, it was a. If you're looking at some of the results from Sunday, man, I don't know. There's a lot of things to take away here. Well, the one thing that I definitely think week six brought us that did not apply to earlier in the season was just good TV games, like very big marquee matchups. So I know that maybe they were different games slightly than we were expecting. Certainly Cowboys Eagles maybe didn't fully live up to its billing, but Two really good games from just a TV drama perspective, and we'll talk about them both here. I think that the two teams that were better on the field ended up winning, and those are the two teams that, if you look through six weeks, are probably the favorites to go to the Super Bowl out of their respective conferences. We know very well from a historical perspective that a third of the season does not equal the full season. Uh, Example, at this point last year, Arizona was the undefeated team in the NFC that we were all singing the praises of, but... Why don't we just talk about them both? And I'm actually going to let the Eagles go first because they are undefeated. Uh, I mean, 6-0, and what is there to say? Uh, they're good. I, I mean, it's, it's the offensive firepower of this team. It's a, a loaded, loaded defense. Uh, you know, C.J. Gardner-Johnson, Darius Slay, like, these are – Dogs, dude. Getting getting production out of every level of this defense. An insane secondary that, you know, genuinely compared to where this team was last year, this is a pretty big revelation. Right now, this team is fifth in total DVOA, second in pass DVOA. It is a scary 23rd. Uh, in defensive run DVOA, which is, you know, huge drop-off there. But if you just look at, you know, where this Eagles team was last year, down to 25th in total defensive DVOA and 25th in defensive passing DVOA. This is a revolution. 
a one-year flipping, you know. Matt Rule be damned. You do not need seven years to recreate a football team. <laughs> we have figured out that teams are reinventing themselves overnight, relatively. We'll, we'll get into some teams that have done that, but Philadelphia especially. It, it is it is so impressive to see this kind of turnaround out of this team. Just, you know, top five offense, top five defense. Uh, even offense, especially. Like, like, A.J. Brown, big acquisition. But just being able to push yourself. Like, this was a team that was heavily established on the run last year. Didn't lose anything at the offensive line. Arguably gained a little bit at the offensive line. But then that jump from... 14th, like league average in passing DVOA offensively to sixth. That's a big jump without losing any of that rushing element. That's huge, huge for this team. They are undoubtedly well above expectation. The defense is undoubtedly, especially well above expectation. And yet I keep coming back to this second quarter versus second half Eagles thing because it happened again last night. How are they? continuing to take their foot off the gas it it worries me because this is a team if you look at the rest of their schedule they have maybe two tough games left I mean they still have to play the Giants twice they'll play the Cowboys with Dak but it's cake for the most part and I can easily see them walking into the playoffs at 15 and 2 16 and 1 and not really being tested but you look at almost blowing the second half of the Lions game Two straight weeks, not scoring any points in the second half, even though they walked over Minnesota and Washington. Jacksonville, the one game where they kind of seize control, but they still only score one touchdown in the second half. Last night, up 20 to nothing, almost blow it in the second half. And, of course, Arizona was a field goal away from sending that game to overtime. So I, everyone's, you know, lauding praise on this offense and on Shane Steichen's play calling – but it's like they take their foot off the gas the minute they get themselves a bit of a lead, and you just can't continue to do that. And it frustrates me um, just kind of watching them start to, you know, just kind of run off tackle runs with Boston Scott when they have a lead instead of actually continuing to keep their offense in a flow. A.J. Brown, credit to them. They kind of used him as a tight end a couple times yesterday. It worked to great effectiveness, but he hasn't been burning teams down the field. Their offense has kind of lacked that vertical dimension the last couple of weeks. I know this is weirdly negative for a 6-0 and football team, but they don't behave the way I feel like a 6-0 and football team should behave in a lot of cases. I mean, don't hedge, man. Like, they're good. Like, the run defense is – or sorry, the run offense and just that element of like, yeah, we're just going to burn you out. I'm fine with it. They create good – they create big enough explosive leads early on. I think by design, they're keeping foot off the gas. They're playing easy, easy teams. They're one of the easiest schedules in football. I think they have – I'm going to look right now. I think they have maybe the easiest remaining schedule in football as well. It is – It's way up there. It has to be. Yeah, it is – yeah, past schedule by Football Outsiders Measurements, uh, DVOA, 24th past schedule, easiest future schedule, and they're 6-0. and uh, this I don't know. Don't sugarcoat it. It, it. You know, we'll see in future teams like you know lack of relative test. You know, I don't think this team beats any of the three or four teams that can make it from the AFC. 
but there's no competition in the NFC to really stop them. And well, that's no- just what I'm saying, though, because, you know, they've played Jared Goff, Carson Wentz, Cooper Rush, and the list goes on. You know, Kirk Cousins, Kyler Murray, they're, most, they're two most impressive wins. There are good quarterbacks still out there. The Eagles aren't going to see any of them until the postseason, and even then might avoid them until the Super Bowl, which is crazy. But it's just a weird year. I'd really love to see this Eagles team. You know, A, I wish Dak had been there last night because the Cooper Rush experiment is very much over. And in some ways, I'm glad because sports talk segments asking if Cooper Rush was involved in a quarterback controversy were starting to make my head swell. But uh, yeah, I, I would really love to see this Eagles team in the regular season go up against an Allen or a Mahomes. And we just don't have that luxury to really be able to see how we feel about them before they waltz into the playoffs. I don't know. Tom will tell. They really don't have any tough games left. Uh, it feels like there's going to be a weird Giants game or that second Cowboys game that's going to get interesting. Uh, but, yeah, I don't think they, you know, I think they maybe lose two games. Like, like it's a it, they maybe lose two games and DVOA-wise, like, will not be dominant. Buffalo Bills, on the other hand, leading in offensive DVOA, leading in defensive DVOA, First team to do that since the Buccaneers in 2003. Only two teams ever have finished with that measurement, according to Football Outsiders. I mean, I'm almost willing to go a little bit more negative on the Bills than the Eagles right now. And it, it, Really? I, I think the Eagles come with a relative expectation of, like, yeah, we know they're not great. They're playing one of the easiest schedules in football. Doing that against the Kansas City Chiefs is nuts. There were just moments, though, of, like, total defensive breakdown. I was really impressed offensively with Josh Allen going up to the line of scrimmage, trying to adjust and literally tell the rookie wide receiver, fifth-year Khalil Shakir, uh, going up and telling him, like, hey, if this corner blitzes, like, hot route, you're coming back on a comeback, we're going eight – like, that's an auto eight yards because we know what – we know what – Spags is going to throw at us in this case. Like, it's the first time I've visually been able to see legitimate adjustment by the Buffalo Bills. And it's something that the Buffalo Bills completely lacked in their first game against, or their only loss this season against Miami, where they, Miami starts out rushing six, seven guys, going cover zero, going up to the line of scrimmage. Then second half, showing cover zero, dropping three back, Allen completely getting frazzled, kind of stalling out a bit, you know. Again, that's also, it's 120 degrees on the Bills bench versus, the you know, 95 on the Miami bench because mm-hmm. of the structure of that Hard Rock Stadium where the away bench is just an oven. And, you know, it's just it's what it is. Cramps. They got multiple offensive linemen out. You're stuck throwing Isaiah McKenzie and a gimped Stefan Diggs, who's like in and out hamstring stuff because he's cramping. That being said, that's a really impressive adjustment. I get worried just by, you know, gutsy play and stuff like the Jordan Poyer thing where he's driving back and forth with rib injuries because he's not cleared to fly because he's got cracked ribs, but he plays in the game anyway. Like, the, you know, that's gutsy as hell. That's a fantastic story. Von Miller doing all this incredible stuff. 
half of these plays like shouldn't have been touchdowns. Like like the Juju Smith, I haven't seen worse tackling on a play since the like LSU just forgot to tackle Anthony Richardson on that one scramble this weekend in LSU Florida. Like like there's just some very dumb ticky tack stuff that is just that needs to get cleaned up by Buffalo for them to ascend to the true greatness we think they will. And I just had a small concern about this team with just like a very fine minutia. Like this team deserves to just be a buzzsaw of a team. And they, you know, offensively they look like it. And defensively they've certainly played like it thus far. But it's just like, I I don't know if my expectations are different for Buffalo because of all the preseason hype and the fact that they've, you know, more or less lived up to it. Is it crazy for me to say, like, at this point, I'm expecting perfection out of this team. Like, I am expecting just flawless execution out of this team. Yeah, I, I think that's a little unreasonable. You know, there's there's going to be weeks where they're a little bit banged up and they have to win ugly. And I give them full credit because I think the blueprint for the Chiefs to win this game coming in was pretty much exactly how this game ended up playing out, which was, you know, the Chiefs don't have that, you know, Tyreek Hill nine route, you know, play you in a shootout and burn you type of capability anymore like they did the last three or four years. They're still capable of it, but they're definitely not going to excel at it. And the Bills are going to be better at it uh, nine times out of ten. So the, the blueprint for the Chiefs to win this game, long drives, ball control, you know, keep the ball out of Josh Allen's hands. It was really going to be about who keeps the ball out of the other quarterback's hands for longer. But, you know, the Chiefs needed to have these eight, nine-minute drives that got a bunch of them. They got a bunch of fourth down stops of the Bills to still pull that win out if you're the Bills and to do it in the fact that, okay, you get the 99-yard touchdown drive in a minute and five seconds at the end of the first half. Go down, score the game-winning touchdown. Everyone thinks you left too much time for Mahomes, but just a complete defensive shutdown. Uh, Teron Johnson, tremendous play to end it. Like these are these are the things that I'm impressed with, and I'm I feel like in a Bills Chiefs game, plays like that Juju play are just going to happen. And I also, you know, to address the Jordan Poyer thing, I don't think he plays that game unless it means as much to them as it does to beat this Chiefs team after what happened last year. So obviously, the playoffs are really what matters. We saw it last year when the Bills beat the Chiefs 38 to 20 in Arrowhead in the regular season. But I don't know. I feel like to win here is to win and you throw out anything that worries you unless it becomes a long-term pattern. You know, they've, they've got a pretty tough schedule the next few weeks, green Bay at the jets home Vikings. And then, you know, if, if any of those games are losses, maybe there's, you know, a little bit of the facade of dominance is dropped, but I still really see a path to, again, 16 and one 15 and two with this bills team. Cause it lightens up from there. And, you know, that was that was the Super Bowl, the, the regular season Super Bowl. Now now you start thinking about the postseason if you're Buffalo, because that was the game they had to win. Wasn't always pretty, but they absolutely got it done. Who? OK. The play, the 16 seconds right before halftime. Do you just chalk that up to, you know, Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey being Travis Kelsey. And them being just you know, immune to time? Or is there something in... I, I want to go into this because now 
the Bills were 0-7 in their first seven one-score games since 2021. Excuse me, a little stuffy. Uh, that includes this year's Miami loss. And then they go 2-0. and up. They have a big comeback win against the Baltimore Ravens, and they you know, have this game against the Chiefs. But stuff like that, you know, stuff like that big 16-second, you know, get all the way into field goal range. Harrison Bucker, I get, kicks a, you know, a personal record for him. In terms of into the wind, goal. too. Just a ridiculous kick. Yeah, he's up there with Tucker for one of the best in the league right now. You know, a tier below, but, you know, up there. Do you credit that to just, like, Chiefs being inhuman at three specific positions? Or do you see something in there that, you know, gave credence to Buffalo not being that team in those seven one-score losses? I am going to give the credit to Kansas City on this one because I think think specifically in those situations where it's like two plays – the combination of Mahomes' ability to make a quick throw, to throw from any angle, Kelsey's ability to, you know, find open space. They're they're so knowledgeable about what holes the defense is going to leave them. I'm going to excuse it. Now, I don't want it to become a pattern. I, I, I do think that proved, like, stop complaining about the lack of a squib kick because they squibbed it, cost the Chiefs four seconds, they get it at the 28, and it's still... Didn't matter. <laughs> Arguably, it proved that a squib kick would have helped because mm-hmm. they kicked that ball with 16 seconds left and give them 13 in relatively similar field position. If they squib it, then 13 trickles down to like nine and they don't have the time to do it. Suppose you can make that argument. It's also possible that the Chiefs just fall on the ball instead of running it back for four seconds and, you know, Etc. Etc. Who knows? He recovered it at the 19 and took it nine yards forward, and it took him four seconds. That was probably a little bit more costly. Maybe he had the extra time to do it. It's it's all like truly semantics to me. I, I get that one second is absolutely the difference here. Also, the Chiefs kicked that with three seconds last year, not even with one. So they truly had time. Uh, as crazy as that is to say, but. I, I'm more so I'm just willing to give Mahomes all the credit in the world in those kinds of situations. Now, the end game scenario we could talk about a little bit more. Was it kind of a reckless play by Mahomes? I, I'm not going to go that far. Um, two picks in this game. The second one is the one that you maybe complain about. First one, just an unbelievable play by Kyir Elam. Uh, kind of just taking it out of the hands of MVS and Mahomes put it in the perfect spot. This one, you know, big-time teams make big-time defensive plays, and I think it, to me, that play just looked doomed from the start. They had all kinds of pressure on him. He was throwing way off his back foot. Uh, And at the same time, if you look at kind of the NGS dots on this play, uh, Teron Johnson just completely hoodwinks Mahomes because he drops back in coverage and then does a full banana turn and comes right back to the ball. Uh, passing off whoever was running kind of the over route. I think it was MBS to uh, his fellow corner. So big time defenses draw big time plays and then the players have to make them. And Johnson made an awesome play to win them that one. 
it listen, they they're a really, really good football team. I I would say that I don't even think that the Chiefs miss Tyreek Hill, but I also think that it's not it's almost not fair to say because they have Travis Kelsey. Like Travis Kelsey's just ability to get wide open is so elite. Like he is truly one of the most unguardable players in football. Now, using uh, football outsiders as DYAR, Travis Kelsey leads the league with a 160 DYAR. That is defense-adjusted yards above average, which is a cumulative stat. Basically means tight ends have more value. Uh, DVOA, on the other hand, is, you know, like percent better per play uh, than league average. Kelsey right now, Leads Mark Andrews uh, in DYAR 160 to 135, uh, but you're also coming from the only other offense that uses tight end as much as the Chiefs do. If you skip over Mark Andrews, Travis Kelsey is above Dallas Goddard, who is in third place, 160 to 86. Like, he is, he is double, almost double better than the third tight end in football. He is an elite, elite talent. And the fact that he's, you know, that much better than Mark Andrews, uh, for example, the difference between Dallas Goddard and David Njoku is 86 to 80. And he's 25 better than second place. Uh, That's an insane difference. Uh, Now you compare him to like the Green Bay Packers. We're about to, we're about to get into the rest of the league here. We promise we'll stop talking about the, you know, biggest game of the weekend. Uh, we'll be talking about a lot more in the show. But uh, when you get into a team like the Green Bay Packers, whose offense looks like such a deep, deep failure, uh, and, and just, you know, Rodgers looking for guys, Rodgers not being able to connect, Rodgers getting frustrated and overthrowing guys, you know. Two losses to New York teams is bad, uh, no matter how, you know, theoretically good either of these teams are. Uh, the offense looks, you know, pretty much completely inept at this point. Uh, you know, I get they don't have Christian Watson uh, in this game, but like it is, a, it is a bad, bad showing by the Green Bay Packers in this one. I want to see what this Chiefs team looks like without uh, a top three greatest offensive weapon at the tight end position of all time. You uh, want that. <laughs> Just to see, like, is just you know how how bad, like, how big of a save is Travis Kelsey? Is what I'm asking. Because- I mean, huge. He's he's one of the best players in the league. I, I he's indelibly tied to that Chiefs team, which is why I don't want to see them lose him because he's he makes them ninety percent like, of the money. Like, I just want to see. I just want to say like. Like the like Tyreek Hill was expendable because they also have like. The group, like a top three tight end of all time is what I'm saying. And just, you know, one of the greatest offensive weapons to play the game, period. Uh, Absolutely. It's, it's just insane. Yeah, if you were ever going to, I mean, there was no world in which you were ever going to prioritize keeping Hill over Kelsey. Kelsey's, I don't know Kelsey's what he ranks in these. What does he rank in these NFL top 100s? Because I guarantee it's not high enough. I'm actually just going to look this up top 100 players of 2022 because I guarantee it's not high enough. 
top 20 to one players. If he's not in the 20, then I'm about to blow a gasket. I was, was going to say he's like, I don't know where they rank individual players. I know like Donald's always up there. Uh, yeah, I don't know, I'm that, individual non-quarterback players. Like he, no, he should be like, he's offensive Aaron Donald. He is 10th. He was fifth last year and he dropped five. All right, whatever. <laughs> Honestly, that people don't these people don't care or know football. Tenth best. No, I like I like him as uh I was gonna say I like him as top ten. I don't know how many quarterbacks are how many of those top ten are quarterbacks? Three. Really? Yeah. How many are what what's the breakdown? Don't don't just rattle them off with position wise. <laughs> Uh, well, Brady's number one, which I think we're seeing is quite clearly not true. <laughs> Easily not true. Uh, and people were making fun of it at the time. Uh, Donald two, Rogers three, also far from the truth right now. So this list breaks down pretty quick. Cooper Cup four. Uh, I guess so. But it, it just goes to show that if you have the second and fourth best player on your team and you're 500 and barely beating the Carolina Panthers, then... How important are those players, really? Uh, Jonathan Taylor, five. Again, this list breaking down quickly. Um, TJ Watt, six. I'm fine with that one. Hope he comes back healthy. Devontae, seven. Arguably, TJ Watt's too low now because of how, be. uh, how, how much this is breaking down. Taken. Yeah. Uh, Mahomes, eight. Jalen Ramsey, nine. So that's three Rams in the top 10. Doesn't sound like a team that should be three and three to me. And finally, Kelsey, 10. I would comfortably have Kelsey in the top five after hearing that. Yeah, I'd put him like top three. Yeah. Outrageous. Uh, Let's talk about parody. Parody is everywhere right now. We talked about these good teams. Now we have to try and make sense of the slop underneath it. And a corollary. To this parody takeaway, Kale, is it safe to say that the New York football teams are the best of all the rest? Safe as a stretch. Uh, <laughs> so it's parody, arguable. It's oh, it definitely is. The so headed into this week, 20, 20 of the 32 teams in the league were somewhere between two and three. And three and two, which is a nuts, a nuts takeaway. And then on top of that, you know, we have the Falcons beating uh, just the hospital 49ers. Uh, that team is banged up to bits. Uh, we have Bailey Zappi beating a pretty solid Cleveland defense that admittedly is missing guys like you know, Denzel Ward, uh, Miles Garrett left in the final five minutes of that game. Jadavian Clowney's out. Uh, the Jets beat the Packers. The Colts, who we all thought were dead. Uh, Matt Ryan, Benjamin buttoned himself and <laughs> put on a, like a 400-yard game against a decent Jaguars defense. Uh, you know, Cincinnati comes back against the fact that they the fact that the Cincinnati Bengals almost lost to a Saints team that uh, was without uh, Jarvis Landry, Michael Thomas, and Chris Olave. Uh, the fact that that was a one-score game is absolutely nuts. But yeah, like Giants beat the Ravens, Steelers beat the Buccaneers, uh, Panthers Rams was kind of close for a little bit. Uh, 
Like, they, like these are just so many, so many weird losses. So many weird, <laughs> unexpected victories. You know, I I can't remember a time like this. And maybe it's just because, you know, our old monuments are crumbling down. You know, 45-year-old Tom Brady looks 45. Uh, Aaron Rodgers, the two-time reigning MVP, uh, has really struggled without Devontae Adams, as we've said, or without a top receiving option. Uh, yeah, last year's Super Bowl teams look like shells of the former selves. Uh, like, like, we can credit a lot of different things individually to this, but I've never I, – I, when was the last time we've seen a league like this, Jackson? I don't know, uh, like, and it, it all comes back to the quarterbacks as well for me. Like, which quarterbacks are even good right now? It used to be you could pretty much say with, with you know, almost any sense of certainty that if a team had a bad quarterback, they were going nowhere. But who's bad and who's good anymore? That is giving me a devil of a time to figure out, you know. And even, like, in, in that Green Bay game, Zach Wilson, 10 of 18, for 110 yards, and yet that team wins. Like, there's almost no way to determine who has the edge going into any given week anymore, and that concerns me. Mitch Trubisky looked competent yesterday, Kale. Mitch Trubisky outplayed Tom Brady, Jackson. Straight up. Um, maybe it's just the bad quarterbacks are good and the good ones are bad. Daniel Jones beat Lamar Jackson with a 10-point lead, a 10-point head start going into the fourth quarter. Uh, Marcus Mariota won yesterday. Geno Smith might be a top five quarterback in the league right now. Like good stories, but where does that leave us? I have absolutely no idea who's good and who's not. Here's some here's some more from Aaron Schatz to talk about to explain some of this because a lot of it he chalks up to. Uh, this is from an ESPN Plus piece, by the way, uh, called 10 Surprising NFL Trends. Offense is down. Geno Smith is starring. Uh, that came out, you know, just before NFL Sunday. Uh, so NFL teams are averaging 21.8 points per game headed into this weekend, down from 23 points per game last season, 24.8 in 2020. If this continues, the second time since 2010, it'll be the second time since 2010 in which teams average less than 22 points per game. The other time was 2017, where it was down to 21. Point seven. So we're right around there right now. If we're looking at other offensive numbers, it's really like shots had a hard time figuring out where this is coming from because passing touchdowns per game are down to the lowest since 2008. But otherwise, passing numbers are like at the same level as last year. Uh, net yards per pass attempt is almost exactly the same. Uh, completion rate, sack rate, interception rate, all relatively similar. Running games are actually more efficient than in recent years, uh, averaging 4.48 yards per carry right now, which would be the highest uh, since at least the merger. So it's really tough to explain where this is coming from, but like people talk about, you know, cover two being at an all-time high or, or, or very, very big highs, cornerback uh, play at a at a premium right now. But that doesn't explain the like, completion rating stay the same. Like, there's just a lot of different things. I wonder if like there's like, passes thrown per game is lower, you know, like combined passer rate. Like, I wonder about stuff like that. 
because uh, shots doesn't mention that in there, uh, and that's just slowing down. I, you know, maybe there's a pace of play issue going on, uh, even with aggressiveness. Maybe there's lost opportunities because of fourth round, so drives are stalling, uh, and teams like cl- being closer together also allows for you know a greater sense of like competition. But like it's defense. I don't know. I'm now kind of just rambling because I'm trying to solve it in real time. But good luck with that. Yeah, exactly. But it's just <laughs> a it's just a bizarre, bizarre time in the league right now. It's I, I can't make sense of up or down. Oh, but let's take a second. I this is me going into like rambling. The New York teams. Jets four and two. Giants. Five and one. Jets beat the Packers. Giants beat a very good Ravens team who has now lost every game this season where they've had an over 90% chance of winning the game. Oh, we'll get there. Uh, we'll get there. Trust me. Yeah. Uh, Jackson, where do you stand on these teams right now? It, it, like, specifically, who do you think is better suited for a long run this year? Or at least, you know, some kind of playoff run. Man, if I could transfer Brian Dable to the Jets, that would be my perfect scenario because the Jets are so, so fun. Every, like, take Zach Wilson out of the equation, which you can't because he's not been very good. It's only two and a half games, or I guess three. And yeah, they've won all three. He's not impressing me at all. But. Everything else they have going for them right now. Brees Hall, like the Brees Hall anecdotes that came out of this week made me just so excited for them and that team and the their future the next couple years. Because I, I wish awesome. I I wish I remembered the reporter who posted this tweet. And I'm sorry, dude, that I, I don't have the credit, but it was like five days ago. I have no way of finding this tweet again. But Basically, someone said, you know, we went into the Jets facility all offseason asking them, why did you spend a second round pick on a running back when you have Michael Carter, when you have all these other needs that the team needs to address? And over and over again, everyone from the coaching staff to the front office just told them, you'll see. We're seeing right now because that guy might be the best running back in the league right now. The defense just he's playing a special ball, special, special ball. But the defense has their equivalents. Uh Young guys, kind of veteran guys, they're all gelling together. They have the it factor. Sauce Gardner just gets better every week. Quinn Williams gets better every week. They're mean. They're nasty. They they swarm to the ball. They do the same thing on special teams by blocking field goals and punts and swinging outcomes of games in that way. They're so fun. They're, I just – I wish they had a better quarterback and – Sala is a great, you know, kind of motivator. I don't know if he's a great X and O's coach. We're still kind of figuring that out. Um, he's, a, he's, a, he's been a very good defensive coach in the single reinvention. Like, I don't fair. think you're giving, I don't think you're giving any of this coaching staff uh, the credit it deserves. Listen, Brian Dable's done a fantastic job offensively, maximizing the talents of each of these guys. But so is Michael LaFleur in New York. We, Everyone not named Elijah Moore, who had zero targets yesterday and cryptically tweeted about it. Um, not very cryptic. Not, very no, no, no. Tweeted. It was very it was very uncryptic and very worrisome if you have Elijah Moore stock in any way, shape, or form. It was I, 
It was not giving the game away, but giving the game away, but not giving the game away, but giving the game away, where it was just, you know, like, I'm going to be the bigger person. I'm yeah, I got it. I got it pulled up. It, it was all amazing. Right. Pull it up. Tuesday, <laughs> um, Tuesday reading. Let's go. Rich Samini says, of all the eye-popping stats slash factoids today, this one is hard to understand. Elijah Moore, zero targets. Hashtag Jets. Here's what Elijah Moore had to say to that. Here's our Tuesday morning reading. If I say what I really want to say, dot, 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 I'll be the selfish guy, dot, dot, dot. We winning. Grateful. Huge blessing. All I ever wanted. Buttersweet for me, M, but I'll be solid. So I'll just say, I'll just stay quiet. Just know I don't understand either. <laughs> he was dancing on the edge of not saying anything, but also like very clearly saying something. But then at the end, he just says, no, F this. I'm going to say it. I don't get it. Yeah, very, very dancey around. But I do like enjoy the individual schematics that LaFleur puts together. Uh, we did talk on our new Football Outsider show, The Takeaway. Uh on Friday that uh, like there, there's some weird stuff he does where, you know, he'll put a motion man in and then run a bubble route uh, to draw out uh, man coverage on the defense. But then the play will get thrown. Like the ball will go to that bubble route, which defeats the purpose of the motion because you already know that guy was covered. So why, throw to him when you know there's a man on him so the play gets blown up for nothing. But there's other things he does where, you know, you want to create separation for Garrett Wilson built into the offense? Oh, how about we put Wilson in, like we motion Wilson into a stack that forces the cornerbacks to play off at the line of scrimmage and now Wilson runs a whip route underneath and he's immediately got two yards of separation and can get a shit ton of yak off of it. Sorry, I swore. Uh, the, you know, the connection of Corey Davis's uh, really improve. Getting Brees Hall into space uh, is one of the more dangerous things that the Jets can do right now. And even supplementing him with an ever-efficient Michael Carter, uh, who's been a really solid pass catching back for the Jets this year. Not as uh, efficient a runner as he was last year, where he was just kind of getting bashed and it helps get injuries. But, you know, using him less improves his effectiveness, and he's especially lethal in the passing game and the screen game. Uh my thing right now is Wilson's just a bit of a – like they're using him right now as a pocket passer, which he's not prescribed to do. His whole thing was, you know, he's he's the Josh Allen mold. He's the Patrick Mahomes yield. He is Pablo Sanchez playing backyard football. Uh, like that's his whole – that's his whole model is it's, is it's, you know, playground ball. Everything's, a you know, a stretch down the midfield. There's still like very small stuff that he's missing. The guy's got no internal clock at all. Uh, he has no sense of like climbing the pocket or pocket awareness. Uh, he, there was one sack that Green Bay had on him where he kind of just like he goes to step up into the pocket, but he steps up into the left, which basically puts him in position of a Green Bay Packers defensive tackle who was out of position before Wilson stepped up. Like he stepped into a sack, which I've never seen before. Uh, you know, stepping around the Jets blocker to do that. It was a bizarre, bizarre sort of setup. But, you know, getting those fundamentals down and getting the small stuff down is what's going to help Wilson go back forward. Giants, on the other hand, I think are set up best long-term. 
from a non-talent perspective, like the Jet, like the Jets have the personnel, the Jets have the talent. Uh, this front seven for the Jets plays like they're shot out of a can. Uh, Quincy Williams is one of the most electric downfield off-ball linebackers I've ever seen. The way he just like fills holes and like he plays every game like his hit sticks taped down is so sick. Uh, Quinn and Williams. Uh, just constant pressure. We'll talk about him more. Uh, preview of game balls there. Ha ha. Uh, like, he's been awesome. Sauce Gardner's been awesome. That whole secondary. Like we said, uh, you know, Matt Rule doesn't take seven years to build a team. Uh, the Jets did it in an offseason. Uh, they just he just ate slop for a year throwing uh, Michael Carter, the cornerback out there, and Brandon Eccles and uh, Bryce Hall. And then, you know, you get two mid mid range uh, safety, or you get two mid range veterans in DJ Reed and Jordan Whitehead, and then get a you know a very very special cornerback talent in Sauce Gardner and all. Yeah, of a they're sudden. they're so well built out that Bryce Hall, who's twenty four years old and finished second in forced incompletions in the NFL last year, is apparently now available via trade, and they can try and stockpile even more assets out of it. That's how he's well been a healthy scratch for like he's been a healthy scratch for like three weeks now. As does, as does Denzel Mims, who you know, as someone who went to camp, like finally was having like one of the better stretches of his career. But everything else has just gotten so much better around him. It's like, yeah, now you're just the healthy scratch guy, and we're gonna find a way to move you onto greener pastures. The, you know. I, I think talent-wise, the Jets are best built for the future. We'll see where you know how Salah ends up, how the uh, floor keeps evolving as a play caller, but just in terms of play calling, like the Giants are way better off because the Giants are doing all of this against the Ravens, against the Packers, are doing this all with their fifth and sixth wide receiver right now. They finally get Wandale Robinson back, uh, who's been injured for a while, but uh, they're doing this without Kenny Galladay. They're doing this without Kadarius Tony. They're doing this without Sterling Shepard, uh, and they're doing this with Daniel Jones at quarterback. You know, Darius Slay is great, but Darius Slay is the fifth guy on the roster right now. This is not the team that you thought you'd be having going into the season. And the Giants are, you know, more than managing. They're doing pretty, you know, like exceptionally. Yeah, I mean, they're five, like they're five and one. They're playing a, they're playing an easy schedule. Yeah, they're playing one of the easier schedules in football. We it stays easy though. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like they're, but you know. If I pull it up right now, they're, let's see what their pass schedule is because they were projected to have one of the easiest in the league. Their pass schedule is 22nd in the league. So it's, you know, 11th, bottom bottom 10, fringe. Yeah, that's going to help. But, like, the Ravens game, the Packers game, those are supposed to be the games they were going to lose. True. And now they're, you know, they're not fantastic, but they've got a 13th best offensive DVOA total. They've got a 12th best pass and 11th best rush. This is, you know, and they're doing it against a solid defensive schedule. I don't know. It, it, it's it's impressive to me that these are the games that they're winning. And coaching-wise long-term, you know, Dable's probably front-runner coach of the year. Yeah, they have too many wins remaining on their schedule still. Like, they're, there's almost no way they miss the playoffs at this point. I don't want to jinx them, but... They still play the Jags next week, which somehow they're underdogs at the Jags, even though they're five and one and the Jags are two and four. I understand that the Jags 
grayed out well from most, you know, either DVOA based or, you know, win rate type of stats, but they're two and four. They, they are what they are at this point. The Giants are five and one. Then they play the Seahawks then the Texans, then the Lions. So there's a world where they're eight and two, nine and one. And then after that, they still play the commanders twice. So I think, I think they're, they're getting to 10 or 11 wins without too much hassle, even if they lose all the games on the remainder of their schedule, that they're supposed to lose. Which is surprising to me. I, I you know, Go into this offseason, I, you know, we knew that the Giants had an easy schedule. I don't, or we knew the NFC East had the easiest slate of games of any of the individual divisions. I don't think that meant that we were going to have that translate into three teams making the postseason, which is what it's, it's looking like. Likely, yeah. But we did. We also didn't have the Bucks and Packers collectively. And Rams all crashing into each other and simultaneously falling off a cliff. So there's but even still, we'd have those guys winning their respective divisions, not really interfering with the wild card, right? True. Like Saints have been really bad. Cardinals have been really bad. Our darling Lions have been almost non-existent. It's right there for them. It's really it's if they blow it at this point, it's going to be an actual choke. We've done the New York Lions or the New York Lions. Uh, we've done the Jets versus Giants thing. Uh, let's talk about five and one teams right now, Jackson. Uh, five and one NFC teams. What do you have more faith in the Giants or the Vikings? Giants. Truly. I, I, I don't think it's, I mean, I understand that the Vikings have generally better offensive weapons, but that's it for me. I, and I just think the, the Giants are better coached. They have more of an it factor. They play at MetLife Stadium, so somebody's going to break their ankle on the turf in the end zone most likely at some point and help them win a game somewhere along the line. I just think the vibes are much better with the Giants. The Vikings, for being 5-1, and one, have had one impressive win, and it was a month and a half ago at this point. My thing, I'd go even further than you, Jackson. The Vikings have a better offense. They have better offensive weapons. They have a better quarterback. They have a better defense. Uh, 21st in total defensive DVOA versus the Giants, who are 30th in the league in total. That shocks DVOA. me. How are they winning these games in that case? Exactly. <laughs> and given all of that, you know, even like you look at their total team DVOAs, like the, like the Minnesota Vikings are doing this in a better conference as well. Uh, in the same conference, but okay, or, or a better division rather. In, in like you know, I don't like. I don't think logistically record like throw records out. I I still have an inkling in my head that like skill wise, like it's or sorry, I shouldn't say uh, better division. They're doing it with a, a harder schedule. I uh, that is, I should not have called the Bears and Lions <laughs> to the certainly uh, not Giants, Cowboys, and commanders and the giants haven't even played the commanders yet exactly but minnesota overall is sitting like just a hair above the giants in terms of total dvoa it's minus 2.8 17th best to minus 3.0 18th best for the giant and i have leagues more confidence in the giants than i do the minnesota vikings they're holding on just enough to be relevant and there's nothing Nothing to talk about with this team. Like it's also keep in, keep in mind, 
that means that both of these teams are below average overall, according to our metrics, which can change and may swing slightly to the other side after they both won this week. But that's crazy that they're both five and one in a, in a year with unprecedented parity. When these numbers say these teams are not even, you know, better than the league average. Yeah, this, they're both sitting negative total, which is slightly below. But I mean, you should really like. I don't know. This the, both these teams should really not be where they are, and yet they are. Which is hey, parody, baby. Parody's crazy. Um, the one other thing I wanted to say about this weekend was uh. Why do we why do we do things like this to ourselves? You know, Kale, like put ourselves out there on the line and make projections and try to come up with strong takeaways and participate in picks articles where we try and act like experts. Cause we're gonna lose, Kale. <laughs> and I lost everything yesterday. And I'm very grateful that I'm not a degenerate gambler uh that put my money on things. Uh, but to recap, uh staff picks. Had the Cowboys that loses. If you had told me to put an eliminator pool pick in yesterday, which I already lost, so I didn't do, I would have absolutely picked the Tampa Bay Bucks. Lost. If you had told me, hey Jackson, your fantasy team is going up against a guy whose entire team is hurt and is starting Mike Boone and Deion Jackson at running back, I would have said, oh, sounds pretty good. Deion Jackson is borderline game ballish yesterday. And Matt Ryan has this renaissance and the Colts win. Marcus Mariota wins. Daniel Jones wins. Uh, The only quarterback I think we can definitively say is bad right now is PJ Walker. That's the only one. Funniest, funniest pass chart I've ever seen in my entire life. (laughs) We'll do that to PJ Walker. Did you see the pass chart? I did not admit the dots. Kale, Kale, the dots are the funniest thing I've ever seen in my entire life. He has a negative average depth of target. Negative. That's because Christian McCaffrey was on this team, Jackson. I don't care. He didn't throw the ball down the field once. I think he had one target of like 15 yards, and everything else was contained within five yards of the line of scrimmage, either way. Funniest thing I've ever seen. Other than that, no idea who's good. Going to continue to try and make takeaways every week. But this week was one of those weeks where you just have to ask, like, why? And I know it'll swing the other way. And that's why I'm going to keep doing this. And I love doing this. And even when I lose, I love doing this. But it really does make you wonder. Like, why Why does anyone consider themselves an expert in the NFL as a subject matter? Because we're sickos for pain. It also didn't, <laughs> you know, I want to add that not only did he have a uh, per next gen stats a completed air yards of negative two point eight, uh, so on average, all of his completions were minus almost minus three yards behind the line of scrimmage. Jackson, guess his time to throw. Guess how on average how much time PJ Walker had to throw. Had to throw or took to throw. Whichever delineation you want to make. I would say he was getting the ball out in like 1.9 seconds on average. I'm mad that you got that almost exactly. (laughs) Let's go. 1.83 yards per uh, time to throw. That is 
pretty unheard of. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'd say so. Like, just for context, the you know the fastest quarterback on average this year is Brady with a two point four two. So to be almost you know close to, not too far off of a full more than a full half second faster than that in a one week sample size is is nuts. I've actually never seen a one handle on time to throw. I've seen three handles, I've seen four handles. I've never seen a one handle on time to throw. They they basically said you can play quarterback, you can wear the jersey, you can line up under center. But that's it. You're not actually the quarterback of this team. We don't have a quarterback. We're going to play offense without one. Jackson, you did not tell me that uh, that P.J. Walker had one completion beyond the line of scrimmage and that one completion was one yard deep. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay, you could have mentioned that. It's hard to mention everything that's crazy about that pass chart if you actually look at the whole thing. Kale just made a very funny face unintentionally. <laughs> he, like, smushed his eyes back and looked like an Instagram filter, and I find it really hard not to just be cackling right now. But Proud of you for, for holding it in. I really did. Um, We're not moving very fast today, but I know you had one more thing you wanted to touch on before we get to game ball. So let her rip, buddy. What do you got? What's going on in the NFC West, Jackson? I don't really... Get it. What's going on? (laughs) Okay. Time out. Four teams. Seattle Seahawks. Story of the year. Uh, Geno Smith, uh, everyone's golden boy, uh, is is playing like a man possessed, (laughs) albeit this Sunday of all days, uh, the day that we – you know, truly highlight him uh, outside of the week. He got game ball. Uh, you know, we're we're st- we're at a point now where the sample size, despite them being five hundred, is is pretty undeniable. Like the Seahawks, despite having a twenty second defensive DVOA, still have a top five offense, propelling them into the top ten of the league in total DVOA. Really answering the question, how far can spite towards your old quarterback take a team by itself? And proving quite far, it seems. It it might make it the playoffs. We're a little early, but it might be. (laughs) So on top of that, you know, you know, Kenneth Walker goes off for the same game. The second shot penny goes down. Uh, They're they're going nuts. Uh, The Cardinals falling apart. Uh, you know, one of their worst starts in a long time. Uh, I think they're off to the lowest offensive passing DVOA of the Kyler Kingsbury era. Uh, they just traded for Robbie Anderson, who, speaking of the Carolina Panthers, uh, was like thrown out of the game uh, for sitting by himself and getting into multiple shouting matches with the wide receivers coach. Uh, they had to trade for him. Uh, the Panthers were going to cut him uh, today, and the Cardinals traded for him because five minutes after the news broke that Anderson was traded to the Cardinals by Ian Rappaport, Adam Schefter breaks that Marquise Brown is done for the year with a foot injury. Uh, Also, DeAndre Hopkins comes back this week, and if we want to get Mimi, 
the week after uh, Modern Warfare 2 releases multiplayer. Uh, so his effectiveness will last all of one week. Uh, Cliff Kane for another ready. awesome Thursday night game, Kel, that I know you're extremely excited about. This is that, for the Cardinals, is that Cardinals Saints, sure is, bud. Oh my god, <laughs> Andy Dalton playing against this team. It might be Jameis, unless Andy Dalton's just won the job by now. We don't know. I wouldn't put it past him at this point. <laughs> uh, yeah, so you know, this is going on in Arizona, which usually this is a first half team and they're having, you know, a horrible, horrible first half start. So who knows what happens when on adjustment Cliff comes back and has his usual second half collapse. The Los Angeles Rams are just a shell in former selves. Anyone not named Cooper Cup is and yeah, anyone not named Cooper Cup is just having uh, the worst season of their careers. Uh, Matt Stafford is is, I, I think it's his lowest. I, I think it's his low. It's I forget if it's his lowest completion percentage or average depth of target since his rookie. I think it's his lowest uh, average depth of target uh, since his rookie season. Uh, you know, Allen Robinson finally you know catches a touchdown, but is doing relatively nothing. They have no run game. Uh, they just lose Joe Noteboom for the rest of the year. They're fine defensively, but they're just completely anemic offensively. Uh, and then the San Francisco 49ers, as we mentioned during the show, I believe, uh, just can't steal the team. Uh, I think they've lost their, you know, Javarius Ward goes down after losing, you know, two members of their secondary, one of them for the year, as well as Nick Bo or Nick Bosa. Uh, to a groin injury, it's Joey Bosa or Nick Bosa. I never it's remember. Nick. It's Nick. Okay, thank. But it's you. funny you get them mixed up because I get the two Wards confused: Jimmy Ward, the safety, and Charvarius Ward, the corner. Now both down with injuries, so even harder to distinguish from each other. And this isn't even mentioning Elijah Mitchell, George Kittle, Trent Williams. Uh, Trent Williams. They lose another <laughs> offensive lineman this week, uh, and I think it was Mike McGlinchey. Uh, it's so know. bad, man. Uh, I've never it, seen it, never seen it this bad for one team through six weeks. And Trey Lance. This doesn't even consider Trey Lance. Which would make them so much more fun right now. Even if they were still a 500, at least they'd be like a boomer bust team instead of a stuck-in-concrete team. Uh, yeah, it's the whole team of Brandon Ayuk and maybe Debo right now. I feel like I haven't heard his name at all this year. Uh, it's It's just real, real, real bad. Uh, they're missing so much, and I guess who do you think wins? And do you think of <laughs> any consequence? I know, right? Like, gosh, if if I could be guaranteed that the Niners would ever be healthy, I'd still like them the most. But who's to say they don't just get hurt more? You know, <laughs> like there's no there's no justice in the injury bug. It doesn't let up. It doesn't have a conscience. It just takes and takes and takes and when it hits you it just continues to spiral so i don't know i the seahawks are definitely like the best story and feeling the best right now but i i don't think they're the most talented team i do think they nailed this draft which is pretty cool you know you didn't necessarily expect that uh from a team that has really kind of struggled drafting and also in the past kind of seeded draft capital to build a team around Russell Wilson. 
Whereas this year, it's like, you know, Kobe Bryant, stud. Uh, Tariq Woolen, four interceptions in four games, just basically looking like the second coming of Richard Sherman. Uh, they they really hit this year. Charles Cross, you know, improved offensive line. Kenneth Walker looks like RB1, had a great day yesterday, pretty much got all their points because it was Geno's least effective game in a while. Just really exciting. Uh, and I don't – I'm not going to pick them to win the division still. But it wouldn't surprise me at this point, which I think is a huge accomplishment because that would have absolutely shocked me to say even three weeks ago, let alone at the start of the season. I mean, that is – I imagine getting those odds at the beginning of the season just completely – you know, that's I, – I don't know who would have even taken that. Like – Seahawks to win that division. I think everyone had. I don't know. I, maybe let's go back to the tape. But I didn't win in three games. Straight. Yeah, up. it was. It was like. I think we. I think we all had them. Worst team in the division. Yeah. Top five um, draft pick. Lock. Thought it was going to be hotly contested. I did think they were a little too good to be top five, but like I was still, you know. This is a five-win team. I still thought it was by far the worst. I, you know, I'd given more credit to Arizona, which maybe <laughs> we, should, hey Jackson, maybe we should just be going off vibes more. You know, like it's not a bad idea. You wrote a Jets preseason vibes article, and look where that took them. I I wrote an entire thing on the Jets having sick vibes. Uh, Mike Tanier of Football Outsiders and New York Times. Fame wrote an entire preseason vibes column breaking down every team. And one of his most abysmally rated were the Arizona Cardinals, which now make a lot of sense. Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, let's just go back to, let's forget all the numbers. Let's forget all the measurements. Let's never watch a bit of film again. Let's just only consume NBA style. I'm cool with off, that. Off <laughs> field, outside media reports. Uh, I think we're just missing like a, a bowl of soup being thrown at a coach, and we're all the way there. <laughs> we can, you know, perfectly chart the trajectory of these teams just based on cosmic energy and, uh, you know, chill vibes. We're, we don't have time to come back to this. And this is going to be like one of these classic cases where I say something and Kale's going to instantly be like, oh, I want to talk about it. We're going to have to save it. Uh, and if they keep winning, we're definitely going to talk about it. But I'll tell you who would grade out exceptionally well on your vibes metric right now. It's the team with the helmet behind you, Kale. It's the New England Patriots. Vibes are up. Are they? I mean, They're I get up. it. They're up, baby. Here's the thing. That game was way – we're going to talk about it. You no. Probably, you, baited, you baited me. You think I'm going to let you – I know me? I baited you. It's Bailey Zappy, Mac Jones, the whole thing. I'm not even talking about the quarterback controversy. The game was just so much closer than the final score. I agree. Level. It was. It, well, this it, is a – Bill Bill loves this team. I, I, I love that this is like a no quarterback – Strong defense that was projected to be very bad, uh, like a that's, bunch of okay. a bunch that's of two the, three receivers. Like this is not. That's this the is thing a hodgepodge. I want to play. 
That's the thing I want to say, Jackson. The the defense is shocking to me. Uh, Jalen Mills just becoming a ball hawk after having like three interceptions his whole career uh, is is stunning to me. Them hitting on both uh, both cornerbacks, uh, both Marcus Jones and Jack Jones. Jack Jones just being like a top. 25 corner in the league out the gate is nuts to me. I don't uh, think we should be surprised by that one. They knew what they were doing when they let JC Jackson walk and drafted a guy who had first round talent, but had all sorts of character issues, quote unquote, coming out of college in the fourth round. They knew exactly what they were doing with that one. Listen, they let JC Jackson walk before they had Jack Jones in the building. So it's still gutsy to me. Uh, my biggest thing is just Bailey Zappi. Uh, Bailey Zappi, I'm just going to keep saying it because it rolls <laughs> off the tongue, uh, who currently uh, has a QBR of 34.8 per FO, uh, zero big-time throws per PFF, uh, and per RBSDM, minimum 75 plays, ranks fourth in EPA and CEOE <laughs> composite. Uh do we have he's, to give do we have to tip our cap to Matt Patricia at this point? Because that sounds like a guy who's being schemed into success. I won't, I won't give a lick of credit to Matt Patricia. And you can't make me. This is just <laughs> like they've gone back to just running their old scheme. They run like a lot of play action. It's run heavy. Like I forget where I heard it. Uh, but I forget who had mentioned it on what podcast, but basically. Someone's like, yeah, this makes sense. Like you were the one team that it's, that was zigging when everyone was zagging, and had the perfect setup for this iteration of the NFL when everyone is getting smaller and faster and leaner on defense. You bulked up, you leaned into run heavy uh, offenses, like, and then at the end of it all, when you had kind of like you know had it all solved, now is when you bring in. The Shanahan offense, when everyone is built to stop it, when everyone is running cover two and lightning boxes and, you know, creating a lot more stuff in past. But, like, now they're getting more open in play action. Now they're, you know, now they're actually using receivers. Tyquan Thornton looks awesome, by the way. I'm so pissed that they hit on every one of these draft picks. You wanted to like, hate. Everyone did. Not even, not even one to hate. It's just like, like I say, it win looks bad. Uh, Sony Sony Michelle's not on the team. The killer Harry got traded. Uh, like, where where was this for three years? Where was this like when the window was like okay, like now we need to rebuild? Why did how did you just how did you just take your eye off the ball for three straight years drafting Dalton King, Devin Asiasi, and before you know <laughs> landing two starting corners, a starting guard, of a, a really good third or fourth wide receiver. Uh, who is still arguably a little overdrafted? Drafted, excuse me. Like I still think if you had George Pickens or uh, you know maybe not Christian Watson, but like you know, some of the guys taken around where he was, like yeah, I'd still want him. But like, where was this for three years? Where was this like toward the tail end of Tom Brady's career? Where was this in the one year where we you know I guess landing Mac Jones is a big deal. But like then Zappy in the fourth round the next year, and he might just be what they wanted Mac Jones to be this year. Let's okay. Let's give Mac Jones some time in the new offense where they actually run and play action. They actually motion the ball pre snap, and they actually 
uh, do things uh, to help their quarterback and make the offense easier. Uh, let's get Mac Jones back to like a training wheel on offense. I don't get why we threw him to the wolves for why the Patriots threw him to the wolves for three weeks to, you know, just to see if he's that dude. When we know he's not that dude, we know he's the high floor, low ceiling guy. Agreed. Fully agreed. <sighs> my vibe, Jackson, you said the Patriots drives great. My, why are my vibes so bad? I don't I know. Don't know. I, I thought Why do they I were. I look like I'm going through a midlife crisis. Talk? I'm I'm confused about it as anyone, but we'll we'll let you stew on it, and we'll come back to the Pats if they keep winning. I guess <laughs> stuff is weird. We've been talking about it all day. Stuff is weird. It's it's been an hour, and we haven't really solved anything. Speaking of things that we can't solve, um, we have to give Matt Ryan an offensive game ball right now. Uh you don't have to do anything. <laughs> but here's the thing. Like, I think I do. Like, I have to. Because am I correct? They were the highest scoring team across the league yesterday. 36 points. I can't believe that. You're right, but I, I can't believe it. It's nuts. 42-58, 389, three touchdowns. Didn't turn the ball over, finally. Game-winning 32-yard touchdown pass to Alex Pierce with 17 seconds to go. Could have just gone for the field goal, but, like, actually sniffed out an opportunity one-on-one down the side. Pierce gets a step, and he actually made the throw with a hand in his face. He found the fountain of youth, and every other, like, Matt Ryan-aged quarterback has been awful the past two weeks. You know, it's like a generation is ending, and Matt Ryan looked like the bellwether of that generation, the worst out of all of them through five weeks. Somehow this team was 2-2-1 and one with no help from him whatsoever. And then this week, he looks like kind of vintage Matt Ryan missing Jonathan Taylor, who, according to the NFL, is the fifth best player in the NFL. So got to tip my hat here. I was so ready, Jackson, to have one of my takeaways be and it, and it kind of was because we mentioned it a little bit. But I was so ready to have one of my takeaways be like, you know, maybe we were wrong about old quarterbacks or something along those lines. And then Matt Ryan does this. Like, that's – I mean, the whole we, – we've talked about how the whole week is full of outliers. Matt Ryan was the best quarterback above the age of like 37. Or I don't even know how old. I think he's 37. He's 37, but, yeah. What a pole, Kale. Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, the yeah, it it just doesn't make sense. It, it's just outlier after outlier in, in over the course of the entire league. I'm pumped for him. I just don't get how it happened. I don't get how you know any it's of this happened. <laughs> also, just I I still can't believe that you know I'll continue you know we'll continue to praise Matt Ryan. Uh, Jaguars did you know shoot themselves. In the foot, a good amount this year, uh, or in this game, uh, just really stupid penalties that kept the Colts in the game. Uh, but the Colts currently uh, are 31st in team pass block win rate by ESPN. And Matt Ryan stayed completely clean in the pocket today against a really solid uh, Jacksonville Jaguars pass rush, one that ranked second. In the league and pass rush win rate. Uh, my biggest thing is that I just don't understand how uh, the Colts have. I, I get, you know, 
I get uh, Deion Jackson had uh, a detrimental effect on your fantasy game with, you know, 42 yards to uh, touch a rushing touchdown. Uh, his now look at the receiving numbers, Kale. <laughs> 10 receptions, 79 yards. I just don't get how they don't have a run game. Uh, I don't get what's happened to this offensive line. I don't get how Jacksonville wasn't able to capitalize on it. It's a game I really want to, want to go watch back on tape because in the quad box where I'm focused on like, oh, the Steelers are about to beat the Bucks, The Jets are about to beat the Packers. Uh, the Patriots are like maybe going to choke this away against the Browns. Uh, if not for a uh, onside kick recovered out of bounds, technically. Uh, like without all of these things, uh, the Colts comeback against the Jaguars fell a little bit by the wayside to me. So I've got to go back and actually watch that. But it's just, I, you know, how this team wins is miraculous to me. And how this, how there's a lot of miracles wins. going around right now. Speaking of miracles, Chase Claypool uh, pulled a Christ like resurrection from the grave. Uh, not to be blasphemous, but uh, had one of the worst stretches of his career. Uh, rumblings, I felt like, of trade block almost uh, in just, or at least proposed in articles and things like that, but was starting to slowly phase out of this offense. Uh, had some volume in the Buffalo game, but most of that coming in garbage time. Uh, and then all of a sudden, Sunday, against Tampa Bay Buccaneers team, goes seven for seven, 96 yards and a touchdown, and was basically the go-to guy for Mitchell Trubisky down the stretch in saving this game. I mean, talk, like, the Steelers just keep finding receivers that are good at football and making them transcendent. Again, we're going to talk about the box more later. Transcendent is an interesting word. <laughs> Good. So I listen. I like hyperbole. Big old fan of hyperbole. Also, wait. I'm sorry. Oh no, never mind. The the box score uh, for uh, Pittsburgh receiving. They have a C Hayward uh, that that had two catches for 49 yards. One of them going 45. <laughs> I thought that was Cam Hayward. Would have like, been oh, cool. No. Uh, uh, can I take a quick side change before you talk about Chase Claypool, Jackson? Do, uh, do what you want. Jackson, why do so many teams have so many players with similar names? Uh, the Patriots have... Well, the Jets players. are... I mean, the Jets are the outlier here, and it's not even close. It's really bad with the Jets. They're they're doing it to us three different times in three different position groups, and it's it's really not cool of them. The Patriots have uh, two M. Joneses uh, and three J. Joneses. Four of the Joneses play cornerback. <laughs> uh, okay, that the, one's funny. Fair. Uh, the Jaguars also have three receivers with the last name Jones. Uh, Marvin Jones, Zay Jones, and now this week, Thomas Jones. Uh, <laughs> uh, and then, right, you can... I'll let you rattle off the Jets one if you have Bryce Hall, Brees Hall, Quincy Williams, Quinn Williams, Michael Carter, Michael Carter. (laughs) That's the funniest one. (laughs) 
That one, they just exactly have the same name. And they both wear numbers in the 30s, and they got drafted the same year. It's amazing. Doing it in the same draft buses. Is <laughs> uh, but, yeah, it is. Wait till, wait till the Ravens bring out Devin Duvernay and Schmevin Schmuvernay, and things really get funny. I I just feel like there was a printing error in uh, <laughs> some biblical code. Uh Either that or this is proof positive that we live in a simulation and the NFL is just uh, Madden auto-generated names. Yeah, and you can flip it the other way. Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi couldn't have more different names, but they look like brothers. Uh, But Bailey Zappi does sound like a Madden-generated name. True. Uh, Yeah, Chase Claypool. Good. Good. I basically talked about my defensive game ball already. I'm not going to go too into detail. It is Teron Johnson, uh, Bill's cornerback. Maybe not quite, you know, defensive play of the year type stuff, but the dots were so sweet. I love the dots, Kale. If our audience isn't, you know, tapped into some of the dots here uh, on the next gen stats post game breakdowns, I highly recommend it. It's really fun. Uh, Weber State alum, same college as Damian Lillard. So. That's fun. That's about it. Teron Johnson, stud. Everyone on the Bills is a stud. So loaded on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, I also have some honorable mentions uh, from that game. Uh, One goes to Vaughn Miller. On the last three Chiefs possessions, uh, this is from Shil Capadio over at the Ringer. Uh, One, created presser, chased Mahomes down on third down to force a field goal. Second possession. Sack Mahomes on third down to force a punt. Third down. Flush Mahomes out of the pocket on the game-winning interception. A one-man difference maker on defense. Exactly what the Bills hoped for. Uh, this is the reason why he got a $120 million contract at 33 years old. Because uh, he's a special talent. Also, want to shout out C.J. Gardner-Johnson with the Philadelphia Eagles. Brought him a pair of picks against Cooper Rush. Uh, he is only getting my honorable mention game ball because he killed the narrative of Cooper Rush being a potential starter, and that is just nice to me. Uh, <laughs> do not have to deal with that anymore. Thank you. Uh, but he doesn't get the full game ball because it was two or three, and he was playing against Cooper Rush. My game ball, who could arguably go up as a special teams game ball as well, was Quinn and Williams. Uh, Quinn Williams had half a sack in five straight games, according to ESPN's Rich Meany. And yesterday, finished with two sacks and a blocked field goal. So rare to me. And maybe it's just because I'm Madden-brained at this point and all those field blocks come off the edge. But it feels so rare to me to see the uh, field goal block from just pressure up the middle. And that's exactly how Quinnen did it on Sunday against the Packers. Just flew up there like a bat out of hell and got in there. He's now got three sacks on the year. Sorry, he's got five sacks on the year. Uh, a decent amount of pressures. I want to see where he lies on the individual uh, individual pass rush win rate chart for ESPN. But he's been playing some special football which is very funny to me because when I uh, – Football Outsiders for everyone that writes the chapters uh, as part of an ad deal gets a specific uh, – gets paired up with a specific uh, SB Nation team site. 
uh, for the uh, what's it called? Uh, just to ask individual chapters questions. Like uh, I had to answer five questions for the Jets, five questions for the Patriots. And one of them was basically, where do you stand on Quentin Williams right now? Uh, there's some rumblings amongst fans that he should be traded. Uh, do you think he's worth the extension? I said, at the very worst, you know, he's one of the only, like, Joe Douglas has done a really good job cleaning house. Uh, and Quinn Williams is one of the only two pieces that he's kept around. Uh, of the 23 starters on the Jets, only two are non-Douglas uh, products. That means they're not drafted by him. They're not signed by him. And those two are C.J. Mosley and Quinn Williams. Mosley is now surprisingly become like the third linebacker on that Jets team behind uh, an emerging Quincy Williams. Quan Alexander has been absolutely electric and Mosley himself. But Mosley's still kind of an anchor of it. And Quinn Williams is fifth amongst defensive tackles in defensive pass rush win, uh, pa pass rush win rate, uh, which is not usually something you expect from the D tackle position. But he's up there with, you know, Chris Jones, Aaron Donald, Daquan Jones of the Bills, Grady Jarrett of the Falcons, uh, you know, Christian Wilkins of the Dolphins. Like, really just special play this year. Hats off, though. Fully agree, and we're going to stay on the Jets right now, and it ties in perfectly with the special teams comment because Quentin Williams blocks the field goal. That's not even the most influential Jets special teams play of the game, and that is why my special teams game ball is going to go to Michael Clemens of the Jets, who is a fourth-round defensive end out of Texas A&M who absolutely blows up a punt, blocks it, directly backwards, picked up by Will Parks, returned for a touchdown. All of a sudden, Jets are up 17-3, to and the game's pretty close to over with how, you know, stagnant and uninspired the Packers' offense was all day. So if you're keeping track now, Kale, that's basically two games that the Jets have won on special teams here. Um, I don't know if we've ever said this on the show before, Kale. It's, it's an interesting factoid that – uh. One eighth of the DVOA pie is uh, special teams. Maybe we've said that once or twice. Maybe it's my, it's my favorite little catchphrase. Possible. Uh, hey, guess what? The Jets coming into the week were third in special teams DVOA. I guarantee they rise to at least second and overtake Houston, that was 0.1% ahead of them. Maybe they even overtake Baltimore for the number one spot. Will Parks, the guy who returns the touchdown, also heavily involved in the onside kick against Cleveland that essentially won them that game. I mean, this is this is important stuff we're talking about here. This is why we do as many special teams game balls every week as we do everything else, because these plays drastically shift the outcome of a game. And this was maybe the biggest example of that of the entire season so far. Special teams. It matters. It's the reason the Packers didn't go to the NFC Championship last year. It, it, it's it's the reason the Tennessee Volunteers beat the Alabama Crimson Tide. My game ball. I disagree. Chase McGrath. <laughs> I fully disagree with that. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> I didn't really have anyone. I just want to talk about a game-winning walk-off field goal in a game. The ugliest, maybe of all time. In fact, oh, it was a knuckleball. Listen, but that <laughs> almost makes it better uh, because he got it in by any means necessary. Uh, 
McGrath, you know, walked off of the field uh, in full uniform and was seen hours after the game still in full uniform. Uh, and I wish I had the quote, uh, but he basically said, yeah, there's a lot of stuff going on right now. That was what he chalked it up to. Uh, so he's the absolute man. Uh, I don't know, Jackson. There wasn't like a bunch of special team stuff to go on this weekend. That yeah, I, I thought maybe we were just going to double up and give it to Jets. I mean, you could you could argue Quinn Williams should get two game balls this week because the Jets really just dominated the special team scene all the way around. Cavante Turp, I will say, in a losing effort, Cavante Turpin really kind of started to show why he's a special return man for the Cowboys. And that's a fun weapon that they have for the rest of the year on their side. One of those big returns got called back and it really kind of switched the momentum. But that's a special dude back there who, in a role that's kind of being de-emphasized with the frequency of touchbacks and down punts, can still be a pretty big weapon for them. That was one of the ones I was going to mention. Uh the other one that I was going to mention was uh, Jason Myers uh, of the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, not really too impressive. Uh, it's more a fault of the Seahawks offense uh, that they kept kind of stalling out yeah. uh, because Myers had a longest field goal of 39. However, still impressive whenever a field goal kicker, especially with a uh, – bottom third defense uh, manages to outscore another team. And Jordan Myers did that by a margin of 13 to nine. So hats off to Jordan. Hey, the Arizona Cardinals are going to allow a lot of special performances this year, Kel. Listen, the Arizona Cardinals <laughs> are a special, special team. Yes, and they are. Why they have not blown it up yet, I don't know. I don't know either, but you know where they're never going to show up this year is in the uniform section. Yeah. <laughs> Who do I got? I got 49. Actually, wait, haven't they already? Didn't I almost make them a uniform game? I ball? think you did, and I'm not gonna really go too deep into that because that's your fault. That's <laughs> that's a you problem, pal. They, their uniforms are atrocious. Uh, you know who's not atrocious is 49ers Falcons when the Falcons are wearing the throwbacks with the red helmets. First of all, there's sort of this uniform karma thing going around this year new uniforms that are getting introduced or in this case throwbacks that are being reintroduced because the one one shell rule was repealed teams that reintroduce good uniforms are winning in those uniforms pat the patriot giants throwbacks falcons throwbacks teams that introduce bad uniforms commanders all blacks cardinals all blacks bears orange helmets are all losing so I think there's some legitimate uniform karma going around, and this really seals it for me because the Falcons are home underdogs. Marcus Mariota's only throwing 14 passes a game, but those red helmets, kill. special, special stuff, allows the Falcons to pull this game out. And the 49ers look great, too. They Not enough good players are wearing those uniforms because they're all wearing sweatpants on the sidelines instead, but still great uniforms. Uh, counterpoint, they basically played against a uh, NFL Europe team uh, because of all the injuries. <laughs> uh, so it's a matter of circumstance. Uh, listen, I I think we can both agree that that was the uniform game of the weekend. Uh, that felt like an 80s throwback for the ages. Uh, my two, again, uh, 
I I repeal everything I said about the color orange uh, after watching Tennessee Alabama. Uh, that was just a great view. I honestly didn't even hate Jackson. And I had a separate offline conversation about this about the Bears Thursday night uniforms, uh, which didn't look as bad as we thought, if only because Soldier Field is uh, is a hundred plus year old stadium that uh, doesn't have the best lights and they're so washed out that they almost work in this color scheme. Yeah. Any like high res picture of that game made them look 10 times worse. Cause it was, you know, shiny orange instead of dimly lit orange. That was almost kind of a fun fall vibe. There was sort of a Thanksgiving vibe to the soldier field lights with that color up against the commanders uh, burgundy, but whew, it's too bright an orange when you actually look at it in a well-taken photo. Uh, my, and then I think the, there's an honorary runner-up game ball uh, or uniform game to Bills Chiefs because those two uniforms just look so sexy every year whenever they match up, no matter what the pairing is. Uh, always looks fantastic. I think my game ball is actually going to go to Packers Jets just because I, I like all that green. Uh, I kind of liked old school versus new school styling. Uh, there's something very nice and samey about the just uh, duochrome, uh, like green and yellow. Only only two colors in the Packers uh, throwback uniforms. And then, like, I don't know, maybe it's just I'm being Jets-pilled, uh, green-pilled, if you will. Uh, but, like, the angular stuff on the side and the, you know, like, the, the sharper angles of the Jets uniform are starting to grow on me in a weird way. And Jackson Jackson is leaning back so far on his mic in absolute despair and apathy uh, for what I am saying at the moment. It's uh, the black pants, dude. They're so bad. They need they need to stop wearing them, and yet they're on a winning streak in them, so they're going to keep wearing them, and that dismays me. Yeah, if it was green pants, it'd actually be game ball or uniform game. I'm getting screwed up. Uh, neither of us have slept. Uh, Jackson... <laughs> Jackson got on a 6 a.m. flight this morning after watching the Yankees uh, and visiting, you know, visiting someone somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> Thanks for telling my story, Kelly. It was well told. <laughs> I, I, I stayed, Jackson, I stayed up till three in the morning tracking Tennessee field goals uh, and their exact GPS location. Uh, none of us are having a great time right now. <laughs> Sorry, I butchered your end of it. Uh, I was in Charleston, South Carolina, having a great time with a very, very close friend from college. Thank you very much, Kel. Um, I'm glad you did. It was better spent than how I am. <laughs> All right. Um, rolling right along into head scratchers because we've sort of still got some stuff to discuss this week. And I'm going to kick things off with the Baltimore Ravens. We've almost gotten there in this episode, but how exactly are the Baltimore Ravens three and three, Cal? They're up 35 to 14 in week two at home against the Miami Dolphins. They lose. They're up 20 to three in week four against the Buffalo Bills at home. They lose. They're up 20 to 10 in the fourth quarter at MetLife Stadium against the Giants this week. They lose. If you go by ESPN win probability, which is, I mean, win probability is what it is. Some sites have different ways to calculate it. I'm just doing that because it's the most ubiquitous. 
they had a 99.7 chance at their peak of winning that Miami game. They lose it. They had a 93.5% chance at their peak of winning that Buffalo game. They lose it. They had a 90.5% chance at their peak of winning the New York Giants game. And they lose it. Some simple math, Kale, will tell you that they had a 99.995% chance of winning at least one of those games. And they still lose all three. So they basically have a three and three record by a one in 20,000 chance. So I just went like, how? How does that happen? And it's happened in different ways in all three games. They had uh, just kind of a defensive second half collapse aided by injuries against Miami. They had the fourth down controversy that I still stand by that they should have gone for it, but they still didn't score in the second half against Buffalo in the rain. And then this week, they all of a sudden Lamar Jackson's turning the ball over twice in a row on games where on drives where you can either put the game away or still take the win by going down and scoring a touchdown. It doesn't really make it like there's not one specific head scratcher here. That's like an explanation as to how this is all happening. It's just a, this team is way better than three and three and they better get their act together or they're not going to win this division. Despite the fact that they're clearly the best team. It's, I think it might hand wave away that Miami game, uh, which was just nuts. Uh, Buffalo, like, I've got to watch the Buffalo game again. I, I want to do a thing about how, uh, like, Buffalo's figure out winning one-score games finally after going 0-7 there in the last year in one-score games, including their loss to Miami. Uh, but it's just this weird thing the Giants do where they just chew clock. Uh, that second half, Baltimore's up 10-7. They kick a field goal, go up 13-7. Giants go on a 14-play, 59-yard drive that eats up 7.40 of clock to get a field goal. Baltimore, with relative ease, scores a touchdown, goes up 20-10. Then they chew up – Giants chew up another six minutes and 53 seconds on a 12-play, 75-yard touchdown drive. Like they just they did the exact same thing against the Packers. Where in the second half, by the last meaningful possession of the game, the Packers had possessed the ball in the second half for a total of five minutes with five minutes in the game remaining. It was really, really bad. Uh the Giants are just really good at this. And then, you know. Lamar puts pressure, like gets you know pressure on stuff. The illegal formation thing's just annoying. Like they probably that interception doesn't happen if they come out in proper formation. Like you know, actually do their job. The fumble was even worse. That's not how Lamar earns two hundred thirty million dollar guaranteed contracts. Like he's trying to this season. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. I'll give the Giants credit because this is now the second week in a row that they've just executed like. Let's melt the clock and beat a vastly superior opponent to us, skill, uh, like talent wise. Uh, it's, it's, you know, I'll give the Giants credit there. But beyond that, I don't know where the Ravens turn this one around. I argued like they've still got, you know, 
they continually ask Lamar to do too much and not saying he's not capable of it. It's just like, you know, Rashad Bateman, I think, was out of this game. Uh, that really just leaves, you know, Mark Andrews, Devin Duvernay, and who? James Proach? Like, yeah, I mean, it's Mark Andrews. It's, it, it's the, it's Lamar and Andrews are up there with Mahomes and Kelsey right now, but there's significantly less help on the Ravens and they don't have as good a defense. The run game comes and goes. Lamar has good running weeks pretty much every week, but you never know what you're going to get out of Dobbins or Kenyon Drake, who actually had a pretty good game yesterday. Um, and yeah, it's just a much, it's a very mercurial football team that can, you know, be up there with anyone's good on a good day, but it also seems like they can lose to anyone uh, under any circumstances, frankly. Uh, it doesn't matter how big a lead they have. They can blow it at any given time. They, they've, uh, in their three losses, they've trailed for a combined, th- no, two minutes, 120 seconds, 14 seconds in their first two games, and then all of 106 seconds against the Giants yesterday. That's bad, Jackson. It's really not good. It's really not good. Um, you know, what's also really not good is your head scratcher, because I think we were actually going to talk about some of this old quarterbacky stuff today. Thomas Edward Patrick Brady Jr. Uh, screaming at his offensive line uh, in the first or second quarter of this game, uh, just absolutely chewing this offensive line out. They have dropped off from 19th in pass block win rate, I believe, uh, to – 28th in the league uh, this year. Uh, Not as big a drop, but that's more because I'm surprised it was that low to begin with last year. Uh, But this offensive line is really bad. Uh, Brady sacked twice. Uh, He's hurried up a lot. What I'm surprised by is – They've now Brady's only had a at a QBR. He hasn't had a QBR above seventy once this year. He's had only one game of the QBR above sixty. He's playing poor football, and the reason this is so damning, Jackson. Do you want to hear who the Pittsburgh Steelers ruled out? Of their game, <laughs> uh, hint: It's basically their entire starting second. <laughs> Cortland Sutton, Akella Willis, Cortland Sutton, no Cortland Sutton, uh, Cameron Sutton. Goddamn, <laughs> Cameron Sutton, Akella Witherspoon, Levi Wallace, Terrell Edmonds. I believe eventually got ruled out, uh, or had some. Minor involvement, minor not involvement. Mika Fitzpatrick also out. That doesn't include guys like you know, DeMarvin Leal, who's a defensive end who's out for the year, uh, who's placed on IR with a knee injury, or uh, Pat Fryermuth, who didn't play with a concussion. But they missed every member of their secondary ranks in the top 11 of Steelers in defensive snaps. There's only two other Steelers who played more than 100 defensive snaps this season, uh, just you can't put up 
the stat line that Brady put up in the game in a game against a full second string secondary. 25 for 40, 243, one touchdown. Uh, I, this team can't score in the red zone. Uh, this team is pretty bad at running. Uh, it is just, I don't know. What's going on with Tom Brady, Jackson? What is going on with Tom Brady, Kel? What exactly gives Tom Brady the right to scream at his offensive line like that after he went to a wedding in New York City on Friday night before this game? Where is his head at right now? What is going on with Tom Brady? He is no longer like the the team over everything. Like I know you buy yourself a certain amount of leeway when you're a seven-time Super Bowl champ and you're 45 and you're very clearly like kind of above the law. You already don't practice on Wednesdays. We know you're going through a divorce. I get it. How do you have the right to just skip out on a, I assume, a practice and just jet off to New York City for your old team owner's wedding? What is what is that? I don't want to hear anything from you if I'm that offensive lineman. I'm like, dude, at least we were here worried about uh, the game that we're playing right now. To be fair, Bill Belichick was also at that wedding. Like significantly closer to New York, New England than Tampa, Florida, for one. Um, and yeah, like that's it. it. It seems much easier for Bill to get there. These guys all have private jets. I'm not, you know, I'm not doing any of this to say like, oh, you know, I don't know. I'm not going to be that guy. Uh, what I will be that guy about is uh, Jackson, have you heard the rumors about Tom Brady and Giselle? Not, I mean, the, ones of, not the ones of divorce. Uh, the ones of uh, Giselle Bunchen uh, practicing witchcraft uh, Maybe not. <laughs> okay. In an article, uh, in an article released in 2019, uh, Brady uh, talked about how spiritual his wife is and how involved in uh, witchcraft uh, she is. Uh, he, in the CBS article, he talks about uh, like healing stones and protection stones and wearing totems on a necklace. And how she built a small altar for them, uh, all for him in their home. Uh, it started. Uh, here's an exact quote. Uh, at first, I was like, "This is kind of crazy," Brady said. And then, about four years ago, we were playing the Seahawks, and she said, "You better listen to me. This is your year, but this is all the things you're going to have to do to win." And I did all those things, and by God, you know, it worked. I stopped questioning her a long time ago. I just showed up and listened. She's been do. <laughs> Apparently, Giselle also has an uncanny ability to see the future, and she did tell Brady that 2014 would be his year and then predicted that the Patriots wouldn't win the Super Bowl in 2015, which they didn't. Uh, okay. The, like, there's all this stuff. They're now theorizing that uh, the sat- – that, like, Wiccans on TikTok are now theorizing that, like, what happens when you, like – you know, separate your, like, you know, you lose out on a relationship with a witch is like, there's just a total sapping of power and you completely fall back to earth. And if this is the case, uh, it honestly, Jackson, it is a better explanation than I have uh, at the moment. Uh, Just 
Giselle the Witch. Uh, I, listen, I throw, dumb stuff on, <laughs> I throw dumb stuff on this podcast all the time. Uh, this might be one of the dumber ones. Uh, but it's also yes. given the yeah, <laughs> given the available information, Jackson. Uh, given his sunken face, given his change in demeanor, and given just uh, the Max Kellerman esque, albeit eight years delayed, uh, fall off a cliff in short order, uh, I don't have another answer. If you're Max Kellerman, what do you say about Tom Brady this season? Because, like, objectively, you are right in that he is falling off a cliff this season, but you can't say that. Because everyone's just gonna clown you for how wrong you were about that eight years ago. I think you. I think you exactly. You just hold mum on it. <laughs> you just can't talk. Um, Monday night football is going to have happened by the time this podcast comes out. Unfortunately, some of us have jobs to do tonight, and then have to edit the podcast tomorrow. So, Broncos Chargers will have happened. I believe this is this is maybe something we do every week um, and and just don't always touch on. But I think we've mentioned every team in the league by name in this episode, uh, even the ones that were on by, except maybe the Titans. Uh, and I'll just do that now because they're getting a new stadium. Congrats. I don't so, think we talked Raiders. I said Devontae Adams' name earlier in the episode. Devontae Adams, okay. We've done it. Uh, but let's go Broncos, Chargers, rapid fire. Uh, who wins and why? Uh, Broncos, because this week and this week is weird. Uh, yeah, we see yeah. eye to eye on that one 100%. Yeah, yeah I think this is, you know, there, there's something in the air, and the Broncos just win, even though they're five-and-a-half-point dogs. Uh, I also took them as the uh, biggest, uh, the most likely – game or the most likely underdog by at least three points to win outright. And it feels like that team, uh, if you know, they're just waiting for things to strike. Right. Uh, but it also feels like this game is all or nothing where they either win or they don't cover. I agree. I think, I think, I think that's exactly how I see this one playing out with, we, we both took the Broncos and the staff picks this week. Uh, for the upset of the week. So it's no surprise that we're sticking by that. Uh, Broncos currently second in defensive DVOA. uh, And I think they do just enough, especially with Keenan Allen still out with that hamstring injury uh, to come away with this one in what will not be a pretty football game by any stretch of the imagination. Let's roll right into next week thoughts and predictions because next week, is Bad. maybe the ugliest slate I've ever seen in my entire life. It's There's not bad. one game, not one game to get excited about, I wouldn't say. Kansas City, San Francisco, Niners are absolutely banged up and destroyed. Uh, New York, Jacksonville, is that what we're going to get excited about? Indy, Please. Tennessee, the two worst three, three win first place teams I've ever seen. Detroit, Dallas, maybe. I don't know. There's nothing good on the slate. Cleveland or uh, Cleveland, Baltimore is a good game. Uh, Jacoby Brissett, wet paper bag. No, I like him. Uh, He's so bad in that game, Kill. You can't deny he wasn't, that. It wasn't great. Uh, the the primetime games are especially abhorrent this week. We already talked about Arizona, New Orleans. Sunday night, we get maybe Mitch Trubisky, Pittsburgh at Miami. 
and then uh, say, Monday night we get Kenny the Bears. Pickett, I like it more. If that's Kenny Pickett Sunday night, I like it more, but I think he's in concussion protocol. So given the recent track record of quarterbacks in concussion protocol, he will not play. Uh, the Patriots better win that game against Chicago. Yeah, I mean, that's the <laughs> Chicago's way, way up there for worst team in the league right now. It's it's them, it's Carolina, and it's maybe Washington. And aside from that, it's not close. Uh, sneaky. There's two sneaky games that are really good. Uh, one of them is Houston, Vegas. Ew. Uh, uh, yeah. What? Uh, they just fired the Texans. Just fired their GM. Uh, they got a road game. They're not like, their GM. They're like Chaplin slash Czar slash. No, he's he's an executive VP of player personnel. Uh, he had roster. He while Nick Casario was general manager in title, uh, uh, Jack Easterby had roster control up yeah, until he was also like their oracle. <laughs> he's he's like the the team guru. It sounds like something out of Game of Thrones. It was uh, something sa- out of Game of Thrones. It sounds like you have some like seer as your leader. Uh, very much like the, uh, uh, what's the Church of the Seven Star? Uh, the Seven Prong Star uh, that I forget the name of. I wrote my thesis paper on Game of Thrones. I watched it five <laughs> times. I can't remember any of this. Uh, but... Yeah, that one seems like a good game because they're better than their uh, – the Houston Texans have a surprising amount of talent on the roster for how bad they are and how bad they're perceived to be in terms of national media. Uh, Derek Stingley's awesome. Uh, I'm excited about Derek Stingley, Devontae Adams uh, as a uh, really good matchup game. Uh, and also, Jackson, if you've got uh, enough money for like a decent night out for one – uh, you can buy a ticket to Dallas at Detroit or Detroit at Dallas. Uh, for I saw that one. We love our little ticket price segment. So that one's a $29 game. If you want to sit up with the birds and uh, the cheapest is actually Seattle at the chargers. So, hey, which is a, okay. Another Sick sneaky game. good game. Sick. Jack, we're finding some, we're, we're finding gold in the rough. All I right. guess more like gold, like it's like there's a lot of there's a lot of like corn and corn and crap. But. Yeah, there's a lot of games that it's like, oh, I'm interested to see that, but there's nothing anywhere close to this week where it was like, I can't wait to see that. None of these games are even remotely like that coming up, especially the primetime ones. No, no, uh, the primetime is maybe the worst slate we've had thus far. Uh, but I don't know, maybe Amazon will finally, finally get a. What what weird deal with the devil did they get to get, you know, Chiefs Chargers week two and then just eat spoonfuls of lard for five straight weeks? That's that's pretty generous. I would say more like spoonfuls of pigeon poop. We did it. One of our longer episodes, one of our less coherent in terms of overall structure, but like we had to talk, man, like there's, there's a lot that we don't understand right now. So like ramble on. There's a lot to get off our chest. Absolutely. And we didn't even get it off your chest, which is another recurring show segment that we can bring back at some point. Uh, maybe we kind of did just without the name this week, but I think most of our done. game balls were kind of, or, or uh, <laughs> everything's a game ball to me. Uh, <laughs> <It's> struggling. <laughs> We have too many. We have too many segments, Jackson. 
Uh, most of our head scratchers were that this week, I feel like, because we usually yeah. jump those up to like individual decisions. And we just decided to do today. It's like, what's what's wrong with some of the teams that we expected to be? Yeah, what's ailing them? And we still don't know, but that's okay. We'll figure it out eventually. Good work this week, buddy. As always, we'll be back. Another cover one potentially coming this week. Loving the love on cover one so far. We'll continue to uh, work on our, our own seven-year plan of uh, building up our uh, social media presence. Still under construction, but uh, cover one's been going great. I've loved that addition to our portfolio this year. Should we spoil who the next cover one team is going to be, Cal? Should we give them a little teaser, or do they have to wait until later in the week? Oh, it's surprising. We'll surprise you. You may be able to guess just based on who needs to be covered right now, but you'll, you know, add us. Tell us who you think it's going to be. We'll listen. Uh, and thank you, as always, for the continued support. Listen to the FO News Show on Wednesday. Listen to the news show, the FO Takeaway, coming this Friday and everything in between. For Kale, I am Jackson, and we will see you next Tuesday. Oh, 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 oh